0: Thank you to our sponsor for Season 2, Punto Space. The contemporary raw space combines capacity with intimacy. Four distinct spaces on three levels encompass more than 3,500 square feet. Custom configurations, a state-of-the-art audio-visual system, and full-service support provide endless possibilities for realizing your creative vision. Welcome to Currency Shift, the podcast where we showcase and share insights from first, only, and the disruptive. These are people who are creating new lanes and carving new paths for women, people of color, and diversity and inclusion. My name is Shade Simone. Let's get started. We have Audra in the house. Hey, hey,
1: hey. Yes. Cheers. Cheers Cheers to you. Take a little sip. Mm. Oh, that's good.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I like that. Yes. (laughs) So we have my Soror in the house, and I'm super excited to present to you all Audra Washington. Audra, would you tell us a little bit about yourself currently?
1: I am a native New Yorker, so it's good to be home. I'm um, visiting, but I'm a native New Yorker and I'm also the publisher of um, Poise Magazine or PoisedMag.com, which is a new digital experience for black women, 40 to 65 plus. So it is a lifestyle brand that just covers everything that we don't see um, media cover today about black women.
0: Excellent. So before we dive deep, because I know you all are excited to hear more about that, because she's right, there's not a lot in the industry uh, focused on women 40 and up. But before we dive deep into that, let's take it all the way back, (laughs) all the way back to when all of this first started. So tell us a little bit about when you were younger, what were your childhood aspirations?
1: So I grew up in the Bronx, um, SoundView projects. Um, society was just different, right? Um, music was different. Um, our culture was different. And my aspirations, honestly, was just to hang out. I mean, just to be that social butterfly. I had a lot of friends. You know, it was about you can hang out in the, in the park or the handball court until eight o'clock, right? When the lights came on. And it was really a social time, but it was also a, a movement of, um, black pride and wanting to reclaim, for lack of a better word, um, Maxine Waters quote of reclaiming our time where we really mm-hmm. wanted to be empowered we really wanted to we weren't going to take no for an answer and new york at that time that was right before the blackout so we had mm-hmm. a lot of new york had a lot of political um issues going on at that time i just wanted to have a carefree life you know it was all about fun roller skating mm-hmm. a skate key Every Saturday, you know, every Saturday night, going to Skate Key, hanging out, hanging out in the different projects, you know, Colgate houses. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It was a fun time, but it was also a very um, political time. And so growing up for me, I saw the women in my family um, take charge because the men, unfortunately, weren't around. My father wasn't around at that time. Um, my uncles were, you know, in and out of jail and mm-hmm. or they I didn't have a relationship with them. So it it, it, for, it's, it wasn't a bad childhood. I thri- that's what keeps me going. Mm-hmm. You know, it made me very independent. And then I was a latchkey kid, so I had no choice but to be independent and to see that strength of black women at that, you know, that pivotal point in my life of how to take care of a household, Mm -hmm. you know, how to maintain your existence, but yet, you know, still be a social butterfly. My mother was a social butterfly. I mean, that's the height of studio 54 and Leviticus, you know, she would go to work, you know, come home, fix dinner as a single parent, put me to bed. Next thing you know, she was in her party clothes (laughs) and she was heading out the door, come back five o'clock, get up. And that was her routine. So it was a really honestly a good time growing up for me. So I didn't really have aspirations at a long age. It wasn't until high school when I went to um Saint Jean Baptiste on 75th Street mm-hmm. that I realized that I wanted to be in media in some form or
0: way. Um Hold on before we go too deep. Um I love where this is going, but just to put a uh, just to put context context for the listeners what year is this
1: oh so this is uh 1977
0: okay perfect this is
1: 1977 so that was some time ago
0: yes but (laughs) it's still good because you brought up studio 54 so you were around when all of that was happening and this is in the 70s before all of the drugs hit New oh, York Absolutely. And ran absolutely. Rapid. That's why I said okay.
1: at that particular po- it was a moment in blissful time, time, it was blissful, but yet growing up, for me, it wasn't so much seeing the the degradation that we experience as, uh, as a African-American people living in New York mm-hmm. or being from a single mother or, you know, having that stigma that typically is attached to... Certain identities, if you're a single parent or you know, yes. if you're a widow, I didn't experience any of that because all I knew was black music, right. um, dance, um, skate key, roll bounce. When you think of the movie, roll bounce that was mm-hmm. my childhood. So it was fun, it was lighthearted. There wasn't any um competition, you know, you had project competition, but it was more of a social you know, building your social, you know, network, so to speak, before social media.
0: Okay, perfect. So now let's jump back into the story. You were saying that you were going to school and that's when you realized...
1: Yeah, I was I was always um, a lover of books, still am, um, going to um, Barnes & Noble and reading and picking up a new mm-hmm. book and pages. And my English teacher uh, miss moffitt was my mentor and she said you have the knack of writing and telling mm-hmm. stories and you should think about a career in journalism cuz that at that time it was either journal- journalism was defined as news um or being in front of the camera right mm-hmm. or a writer and i didn't want to i didn't want any of that my love was music my love was Um, black music because I was exposed to the entertainment industry at a very young age because my mother worked in the entertainment industry. So Mm -hmm. she would come home with different kind of 12-inch promo records. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember seeing the Bobby Caldwell, What You Won't Do For Love promo album, which was in a heart shape. You know, those are... Experiences this generation, unfortunately, will never have. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to be in media and entertainment in some form or fashion. I just didn't know how to get there. um, Because education was always instilled that you got to go to school, you got to get a college degree. So we got there, though. um, And my journey was a very interesting journey, starting from high school.
0: All right, tell us about that. Because you went from not having aspirations to just living an ideal childhood that was fun, energetic, and you're just absorbing your environment and watching your mom, right, who seems to be a very influential piece in your in your life. So once you figured out, all right, I want to do media and entertainment. How did you jump into that industry hmm. and what was that like for you as a woman during that era? Jumping into the music industry.
1: So when I went to uh, college, um, I'm a proud graduate of Bennett College. Um, I was a mass comm media Mm -hmm. uh, major. Um, I would come home for the summers. I would not go away to different locations as some students did. I knew I was coming home back to New York because media was either either going to be in Los Angeles or in New York. Mm-hmm. And my first job or the summers, I would intern at different law firms because I thought I wanted to be an entertainment attorney. Uh, okay. Didn't happen. I didn't want to push paper in that capacity. So when I graduated from Bennett, I came home and my first job was at John Fairchild uh, Publications mm. um, that produces w magazine and i thought i wanted to be in fashion and then when i saw the magazine industry i was like nope i don't want that (laughs) i don't want it because it was very um it wasn't creative enough for me or maybe because i wasn't on the creative side i was on the editorial side Mm. um but then divine guidance stepped in and i was offered a position And this may sound a little crazy, but I was offered a position at Penthouse Magazine that is now defunct under Bob Guccione Mm -hmm. as the administrative assistant to his national sales director. And I was there for about three years, right there on Lincoln Center.
0: And Penthouse Magazine is an adult magazine.
1: It is an adult magazine. So here I am, (laughs) 23 years old, or yeah, 22, 21 actually, 21 years old, working at an adult magazine. And then all of the men in my family were like, "I want free subscription." <laughs> and so they got it, this free subscription. Um, after three years, though, I had to leave because morally it was against what I believed in. Mm-hmm. and being and seeing um, the uh, the the images and how they penthouse would depict women, even if it was a nude. Magazine or adult magazine mm-hmm. was um, degrading, mm-hmm. and when you compared the two magazines, Penthouse to Playboy, mm-hmm. there's a complete difference. Oh
0: yeah, very right difference between the two.
1: From that, I was um, I, in, I took about a month off, um, just trying to find myself. Still at a very young age, and then uh, a recruiter called me and said, "I have an administrative assistant position. If you're interested in going to the interview at ASCAP." I didn't know what ASCAP was. I needed a job, and I was living at home. I said, yeah, that'll work.
0: And what is ASCAP for the listeners?
1: ASCAP is the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. It is a performing rights organization that protects the um, performance royalty of songwriters and publishers. So whenever there is... Music that is played on radio or if it's seen on television or even if it's played in bars or any place that uses music as part of their experience, ASCAP is one of the performing rights organizations that collects those royalties and then distributes back to the songwriters. Okay, so I was the administrative assistant for the membership executive director mm-hmm. and I was the youngest and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I hoarded everything that came across her desk. I had finally landed and saw at the age of 23 an opportunity where if I played my hand right, I played my cards right, I could grow and elevate in this particular environment. And I did. After six months, I was promoted to... um a writer, writer, mem- a membership uh, representative for writers, urban music. What did that mean? That mean it was my job. I was getting paid to hang out, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah. my job was to go out and sign songwriters, up and coming songwriters in urban music, black music, mm-hmm. um, to the to the uh, society for the protection of their performance right royalties. So that meant. I needed to establish relationships with Mm -hmm. A&R people in the music industry. Now I'm really in the music industry. I had to establish relationships with attorneys and um, publicists and um, the artists and the labels. So as that representative, I wanted to be that person or that go-to person that if you have a new artist, you're going to call me on the phone. I got this new artist and they need Protection and so come down, sign them up, boom. Some of the writers that I signed while I was there at ASCAP was I did, I, I spent seven years at ASCAP. Wow. Um, TLC, Whitney Houston, Biggie. Uh, I had all of Bad Boy. Like, I'm I am the bad girl of publishing, <laughs> <laughs> according to Bad Boy. Um, I had all of the majority of uptown records at that town. Um, working with Heavy, working with, um, Eddie F., working with Andre. I had a few writers from Def Jam, you know. So I mm-hmm. was always at the labels, just jumping, you jumping know? from label J- to label. From in label in to lab- but I had relationships and I built trust. I was five one, you know, a uh, buck oh five pounds, but I was very serious about my business because the publishing side of the business is the life artery of the entertainment industry, Mm -hmm. right? That's how they thrive off of royalties. Mm -hmm. And there aren't many of us as black women or even African-Americans that understand publishing. So I saw that I was in a unique position. Mm -hmm. Um, It afforded me a certain posture of knowing information that Typically, you would not understand, or artists did not understand. Mm-hmm. I have broken up fights in studios where it was just a nothing but a cloud of smoke. <laughs> um, but when it came down to the the percentages that someone might have written, mm-hmm. and they get their royalty checks, well, he didn't write that song. I wrote that song. Well, how do we know that you wrote it? Mm. And register those songs and make sure that their business was in order. That was the best job because my boss told me, it is your job. Your your hours don't stop at six o'clock. Mm. Your hours stop really technically at eleven, twelve o'clock. Because I need you to be on the front line of the up and coming writers.
0: Oh wow. This is this is an amazing journey that you have because you went from just being from the Bronx, you know, dabbling in the projects and like living this blissful, fun, engaged childhood, not knowing what you wanted to do. Going to school, realizing, okay, writing, I have that talent, I have that skill and then just knowing, all right, I want to be in the music industry, not doing Penthouse Magazine. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you had a, a little shift there where you were able to recognize, all right, this is what I will accept and this is what I will not accept. Mm-hmm. And you were able to step away from that mm-hmm. and just take that month off. And it sounds like you didn't care about the title. It was the opportunity that you saw with being the administrative assistant. Right. Right.
1: right. Um, absolutely. And I would say, and I tell my daughter now and collegiates that I mentored to and some of our, you know, younger sorrows, don't disregard the opportunity. Um, It's a short term season, Mm -hmm. but grab and learn everything that you can. Because when I was that administrative assistant, I was the best administrative assistant that Lisa Schmidt had. Mm -hmm. um, And she saw something in me that was desirable to promote me right. to that next level of, she's that girl that I need on the front line for black music. Because the girl that was there wasn't effective. You know, she just want to hang out. Yeah, I want to get these writers. I want to be able to create workshops and showcases and really help writers, um, legacy writers. I'm talking about people like Bernie Worrell from mm-hmm. Parliament Fuckadelic and Gwen Guthrie. When they come to you and ask you, I need a... um I need a loan off of my royalties, and you have relationships with them, and they can call you and say, "I need to speak to Audra Washington directly." Mm. Um, and then you have the new generation of writers like Missy Elliott and Timberland. When you remember them, when they were before, they were in the season of before Missy and before Timberland. They were right. in Sister, or they were living in New Jersey, staying right. and producing with Devontae mm-hmm. at that time that was what i was a part of and it's it's good to see that genesis of that early beginning but don't disregard any opportunity because you don't know how it's going to position you in your next chapter
0: Mm, say that again for them because (laughs) i feel like that is a very important key especially for people when they're graduating from college or when people transition into new roles or they're thinking about moving into new roles just understanding that key pivotal piece of information say it again for them Bottom line
1: is don't be afraid of that opportunity or don't degrade or look down on um, an opportunity because it will lead you to your next season because you have that skill set. You've had that experience. And yeah. don't be afraid. I mean, I guess that, too, is a part of my upbringing, being in New York, being a latchkey kid, growing up in the Bronx. We saw and was so exposed to so many things that half of these this generation now, they're so sheltered. Mm -hmm. um i had no fear at that time so when you said you you didn't have any fear you took a minute and you stepped away for a month i didn't have any responsibilities Mm -hmm. i was living at home you know there was no um there was no uh there was no thought that i would not succeed you know in new york you can't be afraid
0: that is so true you can't. Even you walking and taking brave.
1: down a train, you have to be brave. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any fear. I saw my mother. She might have been afraidful of, or afraid of certain things. But when it came to adventure or mm-hmm. trying something new, it was like, it's a do or die situation. I'm just going to go for it. If it don't work out, I can always go back home. And that has been my, um, that's what keeps me grounded. That's what helps me navigate even now at this age of soon to be 52. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid.
0: Okay. Perfect. So let's talk about a little bit of the struggles, though, (laughs) because you said you five one running around to the different labels, breaking up fights like you being a a woman in the industry so early because in the 80s and the 90s, that's when music was really like taking off the hip hop and everything was really starting to like really blossom. So what was that like for you on the struggle in and how did you overcome different obstacles? Oh my gosh.
1: Okay. So when I entered the music industry, it was at the, right at the pivotal point of the nineties, you know, right when the big explosion of everything that nineties and that beautiful golden era that everybody refers to where there was R and B music and you also had rap music and you had, you know, different genres in those categories. Um, so the struggle for me was that life, work-life balance. Mm-hmm. That was the struggle for me um, because my w- life at that time was consumed of working, traveling. I mean, I had the whole entire Eastern Seaboard. Mm-hmm. So I would be in New York one week. I would be in Atlanta one week. I would be in D.C. one week. Mm-hmm. Wherever there was black music on the eastern seaboard. And mind you, at that time, ASCAP only had three black writer representatives. No, excuse me, four. Two on the east coast and two on the west coast. And um, we divided our territories so that way we can cover as much ground as we possibly could compared to our competitors who were BMI at the time. Mm. So... I spent a lot of time in Atlanta before it became this Atlanta oasis or yes. this experience that there is now. So there was LaFace Records. They were so, so deaf. There was, you know, Dallas, Austin, and you had all different. You had Organized Noise, the production um, company. You had so many production camps. The struggle was, you know, sometimes I would wake up and not know where I was. That was a that was a problem. When I was home on the weekends, my Saturday was really my Saturday. I didn't want to go to no club. I didn't want to hear any music. I just wanted to be regular. So it was that work life balance. As I got older, it was settling down, you know, the that as a woman, your biological clock is starting to tick and you don't you're not in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in a relationship with anybody in the industry, you kept it on a low because you didn't want <laughs> nobody to know your business right. in case that person was seeing somebody else. So I wanted to start a family. Um, that was my struggle on the personal side. Career-wise, the struggle was um, gender pay. That was a big mm-hmm. issue and continues to be a big issue as we see in you know 2019, yeah. um, I wasn't making a whole lot of money at ASCAP, mm-hmm. you know, but they gave me an Amex credit card, and so <laughs> that was my extra pay that I did not get in my paycheck. Yes, but gender pay promotion for doing the work, you mm-hmm. know, not just being paid for what you're worth, but being recognized by those in a very in a very male dominated industry Mm. um and then being a black woman in a male dominated industry who would promote me Mm -hmm. to that next level and i'm sorry to say that it wasn't the women that promoted me it was the men Mm. and it was white men who said okay well we're going to give you this and we're going to give you a few coins extra than what you've made and you know we'll give you this title um And so I had to deal with that um, struggle of not being paid what you're worth, um, having to not have my tribe support me, maybe because they weren't in a position to elevate. We weren't in that position to Mm -hmm. elevate because we didn't write the checks. Right. So it's still like that, though. Mm. And that is a struggle. It's changed somewhat, but. It's still a long road compared to the male counterparts.
0: So sometimes when you're when you're going through struggles, it affects you in a way where you have mental health. Right. So how did you deal with your mental health during those time periods (laughs) of struggle? Like what was kind of like your your outlet to really bring yourself back to reality so that you can you could continue to do your job and do your job as well as you did?
1: So that, at that time, Ianla had just released her first acts of faith. Okay. Right? I had gone to one of her workshops in Maryland when she had her, she would do these workshops and I had gone. Um, And so I would look for meditative uh, books or go to, church on a regular basis when I was home to kind of keep me grounded, right? But I also had my mother and I had my, my closest best friends from high school and from um, college that kept me grounded and humble as well. And so that mm-hmm. was the the balance of my mental health because when you have um, your core that can call you out, that know you like the back of the hand, that can say, um, no, sis, that's not going to happen. Um, I'm coming to get you or mm-hmm. what's going on. I had that. So I didn't really have that was the the balance of my, my mental health.
0: It's having that core having group. It's having that
1: core group and my core is is raw. Yes. And I had um and even in the industry, I had several women mm-hmm. to support. We supported each other. Some to this day I'm very close to. Um, I can call them and they be like, mm, no, let's not go there. And I was the youngest. So some of them now are in their 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are women who have been rocking with these black music executives like they are the original black music executives as far as females. Yes. Right. They would call you out. So I was able to gravitate to them just to talk about job um, struggles or, you know, not being paid what I'm worth or didn't get the promotion or, you know, being targeted. They understood because they had gone through that experience. So I had to say that my mental health was really based on, you know, my belief, my faith, um, but my core, they kept me whipped into into shape whenever there was that you know you you got 24 hours to feel bad and okay, okay so now <laughs> let's just it. get back to it. What's, what's going on
0: <laughs> yeah so for the people listening I really want you guys to understand that having a core not people that just ego stroke and tell you everything that you want to hear but having a core that essentially is going to be raw and authentic with you like like Audrey said where they can say all right you didn't get that job you didn't get that promotion cry about it for today, but tomorrow we got to get back to, get back to business.
1: And, or what did you say? Let's, let's replay this. Okay. What did you say in your interview?
0: Yes. Yes, exactly.
1: Give it back to me so we can critique it. You know? So, um, and even to this day, like I can call them and, and a lot of them have shifted out of entertainment Mm -hmm. and they're in different fields and I have one that's in HR and she's like the director of HR in New Jersey. I'm not going to say where, but um, <laughs> she's in HR and I had a situation and I needed some HR advice. And she said, oh, mm, I've seen this before. They trying to get rid of you don't tell the man what to do and he ain't feeling it. So now you do. He, she said, here's the language. She said, but this is what I need you to do. So I had that group and mm-hmm. still have that group that I can say, even if we don't talk every day, this is what's going on how do I handle this or could I have said something differently could yes. I have done something differently but you need to be and have 3 it doesn't have to be 5 like mine or 7 that can call you out on your stuff mm-hmm. cuz we all have stuff and um but that's going to elevate you as well and say okay you messed up on here but here's where you did do well
0: exactly exactly all right so we went from Like, you're in the music industry. We understand the struggles. We understand the mental health. So how did the magazine come about? (laughs) Like, what? where did that come from, essentially? I'm
1: going to get in trouble for this. So in 2013, um, I had dropped, I had just dropped, and this is a true story. I'm not going to go through line by line, but it is a a true story. 2013, uh, July, end of July, I had just dropped my daughter off at Black Girls Rock for the summer intensive program she was selected to participate in for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And my mother and I had dropped her off at Columbia. We were so excited, you know. Um, she was like a little hesitant. And then my mother and I were just hanging out, you know, because we're home, we're going to a street festival, we're going shopping. And then um, we had gone, we were staying with my godmother that lives on um, Central Park West. And the two of them are like Sealy and Nettie. You know, they <laughs> get together. It's a whole nother. That's a
0: color purple reference for those of you. It's a
1: Sealy <laughs> Nettie moment. You know, they clapping hands. They, you know, they haven't seen each other. You know, they have a conversation and then we out. Like you and, the, and the conversation <laughs> always takes place in the kitchen. So our, our ritual is I go to the bodega and get the butter roll and a coffee. And then the three of us would sit in the kitchen and talk. Mm-hmm. So these two were talking about sex. So let me give you the back, st- the back story. These women in their 60s at the time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: sixty, mid-65s, and they were talking about sex. <laughs> so just imagine you in the kitchen with your aunts <laughs> and your mother and your aunts are talking about sex. That's not a picture that you want in <laughs> no. your head, right? Because, you know, and then you got one who's really slick with the mouth. Well, you need to know because I could teach you. I, no, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but then we started talking about what happens when you're in your 40s because I felt like I was having like a, a midlife crisis, but it wasn't actually a midlife crisis. Like, what do I expect At 40, what should I be expecting at 40 Mm -hmm. Um, or 45? I was turning 45 at the time. What should I expect? Um, Is this what life is supposed to be? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm starting to see these gray hairs. You know, it was just so many things going on. And then I started asking them questions. We had diverted the conversation from sex to, like, black women's health, Mm -hmm. you know, DNA, what's in our DNA. And when my mother and I left and we started traveling back south cuz i was living in north carolina at the time right um that's when it, the aha moment came on i said mom you're right in that i do um i am lucky that i have two women that i can go to to ask questions about health what to expect right. um Uh, how do I navigate certain things at 45 or 50? Because they had already been down that path. Mm -hmm. I said, and it's just a shame that there's no content that is easy to find. I think More Magazine was the only um, real media type publication that you can get info for women of a certain age. But the challenge was there weren't a whole lot of pictures of us of black women who were forty plus that didn't look like how mass media has has depicted us to be. Mm-hmm. They really didn't get to the nitty gritty of black women, black women health, love, relationships, money, um, being a widow, being a grandparent, raising mm-hmm. your children or your grandchildren, um, divorce, HIV. I mean, they did not really go into that topic the way that I felt I needed. Right. And out of that need, um, Poised was form. Um, it was also a tribute to um, our icons. Like, um, I'm a big, 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 big fan and lover of Lena Horne, mm-hmm. Diane Carroll, Ruby Dee. Mm-hmm. I'm good with those three women. Um, I had the opportunity to meet all three mm-hmm. in my entertainment career. Um, so for me, it was like poise. What it, it needed to have something that was reflective. It was like taking essence that step further, but really focusing on 40 to 65 plus versus the 21 to 35 mm-hmm. demo because mm-hmm. they don't get that exposure. They're still touring. They're still um, writing books, they may have nonprofit organizations. You know, yes. they may be acting here and there, but there was more to them than than what you just saw. And so, out of that, Poise was born. So, um, it's a tribute to those black women, but also to really talk and discuss topics specifically for black women forty to sixty five plus.
0: So, when you were creating uh, Poise magazine, was that At the same time that you were working in the music industry? No,
1: I I was indirectly. I had at that time, I was not as active in it. I had Mm -hmm. transitioned out. I had relocated to North Carolina. I left New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, but still always dabbling in it and in it indirectly. But media is my passion. Media is my heart that is in my blood. It's in the DNA um and I just felt that that was just really a need that we needed in mass media that we didn't see images and stories
0: Yeah and the images and stories on the website are phenomenal like in- like, you have so many articles that are written about different things that me in my 30s, I'm like, oh, maybe I should pay attention to this. <laughs> as far as like understanding that menopause lasts, lasts longer with Black women, or reading about the health issues that uh, women in their 40s and above may face down the road. Talk to us a little bit about how you essentially move forward with launching the magazine (laughs) and what type of struggles like you faced during that period
1: so the um it was maybe it took me about a year to kind of figure out the content but I want to say that I just jumped in I didn't really have a business plan, like you know. Most people say, "Well, you gotta have a business plan. <laughs> well, you gotta have this." I didn't take that route, to be quite honest. Or you have to have a certain amount of dollars to fund your, your, you know, your business. I didn't take that route. I self-funded, and I just jumped in. I, you know, thought of what do I want this magazine to be named or what do I want this digital experience to be named? What is it about black women being in a black sorority, having gone Mm -hmm. to a HBCU, being in entertainment, Mm -hmm. um, having the, the, the strong women, you know, in your life, your grandmother, your mother, your aunts who are barmaids or correctional offices. I mean, I grew up literally in Harlem barmaids, Mm -hmm. hanging out the cellar. These are spots that are no longer in existence but for me, it is, a uh, uh, you know, those are memories. You know, right. Willie's Lounge right there on 125th. If anybody knows, you know Willie's. We don't have the, the Seville Bar and Lounge right mm-hmm. there on 7th Avenue. So growing up at that time, I had some really strong influences of black women. So what was that one word that would describe them, you know? Mm-hmm. And regardless to how hard they might be, but, you know, if there was a meeting in the ladies' room, hint, hint, they need to take care of business in the lady room. They came back. They was cool. <laughs> they collected. <laughs> or, you know, as us too, as sorrows. Th- sometimes we got to pull soror, We got to check certain sorrows because they right. get a little crazy. So what does that look like? And mm-hmm. so that one word for me, I think the biggest and the hardest part was thinking of the name. And then it just came to me. I was like, poise. Because black women are poise. We go through. We like mm-hmm. ducks. You know, our paddles swimming underneath. We know right. that. We know that duck experience but we we work and we have so much on our shoulders Mm -hmm. that the average person wouldn't know just by looking at us but we we pull it together we put our best face on we Mm -hmm. wear pearls we put on our lipstick and we keep it moving we have to we don't have time to you know mourn and cry so for me, it was just, okay, once I had that name, it was full of steam ahead. This is the content. I started drafting, you know, our vision, our mission, my mm-hmm. um, mission statement, a vision. And then I pulled in a few people, and I reached out to a lot of people that I knew that were writers. I was like, this is what I'm writing. Do you want to be involved? Yes, no. And some said yes. Some said no. Some want to get paid. I can't pay you right now. Yeah. This is a great idea. What can I help you with? Um, I started then pulling together a media kit, you know. Mm-hmm. So I took the experiences that I had from administrative assistant. I looked at this as launching um, a single, mm-hmm. um, and I used those experience from my entertainment days into creating this experience that I didn't want to be a hard copy because I didn't want it to be regional and I wanted to be cost efficient. And publishing right. a magazine is very expensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted this to be a broad reach because eventually I want to hit my sisters in Africa, mm-hmm. on a continent. I want to go to London. I want to go to France. Um, the world is big and and right. there's so many of us, you know, and we're all connected by the same hues. Mm-hmm. And we have a broad hue base. Um, so that's how I really got started. The struggle has been; it's still very organic. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a battle because you can't get major. So, if you want to be authentic, then you're going to self fund a lot of your own content in creating our content. Content has been the challenge. To mm-hmm. be very honest, um, it's hard to find writers that really want to write stories or part information without costing you an arm and a leg Mm. say uh, and for an example ebony had an issue with paying their writers
0: Mm.
1: one of the reasons why they're no longer in existence you know they would get these contributing writers to add to their story Mm -hmm. but then they can't pay them yeah you're right um so the model for um creating revenue i had to figure out a different unique revenue model and how I was going to monetize. The monetization has been the biggest struggle because without the numbers, you're not going to get that mass advertising or that sponsorship. So then how do I keep it authentic? How do I fund it so that way it continues to grow? But yet um, how do I not lose the voice just because I do have sponsorship dollars or advertising dollars that has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the magazine? So it has remained – You know, still very organic, um, but we've used social media to get our content across through Mm -hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, to really show different pieces. Facebook, you'll have the articles, you'll have some, you know, images and content. Instagram, you're going to have your images that are more reflective. Twitter, you're going to have conversation. So we try our best, but I'm a team of three.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Before we go too deep, cause you're, you're touching on a topic that is really kind of the heart of currency shift. So I look at you as our essential FOD, first, only, and disruptive <laughs> because of what you've created with Poise Magazine, right? So when it boils down to uh, currency shift, the heart of it is helping people understand how to use their social currency. And social currency is building social networks to gain access, influence, resources, and networking in the digital space that affects a person online and offline. So when you're talking about how you're using social media and uh, how you're creating content, tell us about in what ways has social media influenced or empowered your brand?
1: Well, it has definitely empowered us to um, be very authentic, with our images and in our stories. Mm. Um, and I mean, what are those, your, your, your visual voice, what is the visual voice that we're really trying to convey yeah. to, you know, audience that may be following poise. And that is to see a positive, confident, self, self-assured, redefined black woman from 40 to 80 mm-hmm. period. So it has influenced um, when it, And I say this because I look at it differently. I don't look at it as, oh, this is my opportunity to market and to get funds or product. I'm really trying to stimulate interest just by the visual voice that we have um, and drive them to the website for content and for engagement. right? Um, So it's really about showing that positive image because social media and especially Instagram, you see all kinds of stuff, but you (laughs) also see, you know, there are now brands, you know, that are targeting older women Mm -hmm. or older men and women who are fly, hip and ageless. That's one that we are partners, you know, on content. Um, so we've developed partnerships with certain brands that fit our target in our demo. Mm-hmm. Um, but then too, I also look at what is being posted and looked at and looked at look at that as an opportunity of what not to do for poised. Mm. So not so quick to jump into the water just because everybody else is doing it. But what is really best for this brand? Yes. Because this is all, you know, your brand is your, is your mark, is your word, and that's your reputation. Mm-hmm. I'm not counting down to, you know, just because somebody may sit, make a comment on a particular subject. If it doesn't have any relevancy or sometimes it's just best to be silent, we're silent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I look at it as a a moment where we kind of play on both sides of the fence, being Mm -hmm. authentic to our audience and what we want to, how we want to differentiate ourselves from others, Mm -hmm. Um, stay aligned to our true mission and our core values, but also look at what other people are doing and not following that same path.
0: And it sounds like you use a variety of social media platforms, you use Instagram, you use Twitter. Do you, how do you change the voice for each platform or is it one voice on all?
1: No, no, I tried that one voice on for all and it didn't work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. It does, well, I will say this. It does work to a certain degree on, um, Facebook and Instagram, right? But for Twitter, that's that's really a conversation. But what I'm what I learned the hard way, and I'm still learning, right? Because you're yeah. always social media is growing and it's evolving. Our audience, my audience for Poise or the Poise audience, they're not really on Twitter. Mm. They're not on Twitter.
0: That that's a good point. Is knowing you, where your knowing audience where is. your
1: audience is.
0: Yeah,
1: the Poise audience is either on Instagram or Facebook. Mm. That's it because they can swipe. It takes a lot of work to be actively engaged in Twitter. Yes, <laughs> I am personally I'm on all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm Pinterest and we have Pinterest as well. Um but our audience, our core audience where I want to reach black women 40 65 plus even some of our Latin sisters yeah I know I can reach them on Facebook
0: And how did you figure that out because a lot of people they're like oh okay I have to like repost on all these platforms but how did you figure out that your audience your core audience was on Facebook and Instagram?
1: Study mm. looking at the engagement, looking at the analytics and just looking at um, content that we were posting. And where there was, you know, response, whether they liked it, whether they didn't like it. Um, and then just monitoring, taking that baseline and that information and then really seeing it in play and knowing. And then comparing it to, to a lot of white papers. You know, Nielsen does a lot of white papers where you can, when they have their specialized African-American audience white paper or they're, you know hispanic mm-hmm. white paper and 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 so when you look at that and you kind of do your due diligence you then start to see the model or the path of understanding where your audience is how to reach them um totally different from millennials because mm-hmm. they're baby boomers or they're gen Xers mm-hmm. or they're getting ready to transition in So then how do you reach them effectively where they are at or meet them in the middle? So it came over time.
0: One thing that I noticed on on the site is that you have a lot of writers and each one is very, very different. Uh, Do because part of social currency is tapping into your own network and giving Mm -hmm. people opportunities Mm -hmm. to grow their own network? Mm -hmm. So are you tapping into like LinkedIn or or Instagram to find contributors for the magazine?
1: Instagram, yes. Um, But a lot of the contributors who have, I'm blessed to, who have contributed have been colleagues, Mm -hmm. direct relationships, and or friends of a friend, and they want to have that um, piece out there as well, because it's not just me asking this is also an opportunity for that person who is that writer who is that photographer who is that videographer for them to have work to say i'm on this magazine or you know they have they can link it to that actual um page or experience to create their visual portfolio or their written portfolio so it's like i see it as a two-way
0: it's a mutual benefit
1: it's a it's a Reciprocal from for both, you know, you do me, you help me out, I'll help you out, and you get that exposure.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, excellent. So, out of everything, so we've had this wonderful journey with you from being free, happy, great latchkey childhood <laughs> to your college experience and the penthouse and redefining what your vision for yourself was by jumping into the media industry and really taking advantage of an opportunity despite the title to growing and being as successful as you were um, to launching and developing and creating Poise Magazine. Out of all of your experiences, And everything that you've lived through, what is one piece of advice, just one piece of advice that you would put on the post-it for others to read?
1: Do it. I didn't know. Again, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have an outline. I just had this, this, this belly, this passion in my belly, in my heart. And I said my prayers like, Lord, you gave me this seed. I need you to 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 help me bring it to pass this baby mm. this baby and I was already a mother so this was a new baby <laughs> um and I didn't know honestly being very transparent with you I didn't know which way or which direction to go you know because mm-hmm. you're talking about a a lifestyle brand there's a lot of stuff about black womanhood I'm still learning mm. you know we don't know what we don't know until you come in contact you have a family member so I, I just jumped in. Yeah. I just jumped in and you know, I learned and I'm still learning along the
0: way. Um, good,
1: bad, or indifferent.
0: Mm.
1: So just do it.
0: Just do it. Just do it. I like it. it. I like it, I like it, I like it. Now we're entering the speed round, right? So I'm going to ask you a few questions and it's just whatever thought comes to mind. Whatever thought comes to mind. First thought. You wanna take a sip? You wanna Yeah. Let me <laughs>
1: My champagne's been sitting for a minute. <laughs>
0: okay, go. All right. All right. You ready? Ready. All right. What gets you out of bed? What gets me out of bed? Um, life. Life. All right. Favorite band or group? Or hmm. a musician? Mmm.
1: I want to say right now it would have to be probably and this is just one but off the top of my head I would have to say it would be the sounds of Philadelphia with Kenny Gamble okay. and Leon Huff because they just didn't do one sound sa- I mean they had their own distinct sound the groups that came out they had the distinct sound but there was messages in their music Mm-hmm. Um, the vocals, the vocal arrangements, um, the production. And that's, you know, when you listen to it, like when we were driving in and we were listening, they did a a mix on BLS and we were listening and they were mixing in Teddy Pendergrass as a tribute to his birthday and just his voice, his velvet voice in mm-hmm. the mix. Um, so I would say that would be one because I'm big on
0: um, lyrics, mm. always
1: have been. So, yeah. For right now, that's just one. I have a list, but
0: <laughs> all right. Favorite drink?
1: Um, my favorite drink is um muscatel wine, strawberry or and or um or the the white or even sangria. So wine. Okay. Uh, role models. Um, my mom is a role model for me. Um my um daughter is a role model is she's a younger generation but i would say um our sorority too Mm -hmm. um i think that the 22 founders at that particular time in 1913 to have withstood um (laughs) to step out and just do it yes right of the founding of delta sigma theta sorority incorporated Mm
0: -hmm. um
1: And to remove themselves from a social organization, but to have the vision and be visionaries to create this organization that was built on principles and core values and political action, Mm -hmm. um, to me, is a big role model. And just that has been um, one of the guiding influences for me.
0: Excellent. Luxury item.
1: (laughs) Well... Um, considering, um, I used to be a luxury item girl, I would say, um, spas, Mm. you know, those real, give me the, like the top of the line spa treatments, like the hot stones and Mm -hmm. the facials. Um, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a Louis Vuitton girl. I'm not a Gucci girl. Mm -hmm. I've never been into that, um, Name, brand, luxury, kind of. I like experiences. So Mm. for me, it's always been, you know, let's go to um, St. Martin. Let's go to Anguilla. Let's go to Cap I'd rather spend my money on experiences than on material items. Mm
0: -hmm. Favorite food?
1: Um, My favorite. Okay. I have two, but you said one. So since I'm home, I'm going to say El Malico Restaurant on 97th and Broadway, which mm-hmm. is um a Dominican spot. So the steak and whites the steak and sauce is
0: my favorite food with the red beans. Nice. Shout out to that restaurant. Absolutely. Because <laughs> we will be having that for later. <laughs> favorite country to visit?
1: Um Anguilla, capchaluca, definitely. I mean to see a place that is just so remote. Um, turquoise blue waters. Really white sand beach. And it's warm. And it's just tranquil. That to me is my favorite place. Got it.
0: Best way to give back.
1: Uh, mentorship. Um, I love collegics. I love black girls coming up. Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: love them. Like, I get passionate about them. Um, I love our younger Soros. So when I see them or I see them going through a process or they're in their freshman year or their Mm -hmm. sophomore year and they want to know, how did you do it? Can you mentor me? And, Mm -hmm. you know, just talking to them and having lunch. That, to me, is a way to give back because, it's our it's like Sankofa we have to continue our fortitude we ha- mm-hmm. we have to continue that stance that's our posture yes um, so mentoring to them um, being an advisor to them mm-hmm. um, talking to them and learning from them um, is a way to to for me to really mentor our young women coming up and making sure that they're on the right track to take the to take pass over the baton
0: mm-hmm excellent retirement place
1: <laughs> uh my you know what my my retirement place is really um coming back home to New York mm. and there's no place like New york City I know people are like what are you girl are you crazy when she once you live outside the city mm-hmm. whether it be california maybe california but for me, New York has a certain energy. It has a certain adrenaline that you can't get anyplace Anywhere else. else. Yes. Um, to be able to walk out your door and not have to take to drive to have the exposure to all kind of ethnic foods, everything is com is just close. The activities that you can do, Broadway and mm-hmm. and just. To me, New York would be retirement. Now, my fiance may say, no, we need someplace warm. California, <laughs> maybe, or Florida. You agree? Um, I mean, you know, I think warmness has its advantages. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh,
0: whatever.
1: I'm sure we'll come to a happy
0: medium. <laughs> All right, cool. Cartoon. Favorite cartoon? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: favorite cartoon. Growing up or as an adult? It doesn't matter. It's whatever. Uh, my favorite cartoon would probably be The Proud Family.
0: Ah, okay. Nice. The Proud
1: Family. It ah. had so many. Um, <laughs> it was, a. I, I think that, you know, with the characters, with Penny Proud, her parents, <laughs> you know, Sugar Mama, um... The, the you know her best friend D- 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 It was
0: um, very relatable it is very relatable
1: <laughs> but the messages were always positive um so i would say the proud family all right drama
0: my favorite drama or whatever comes to mind when you think drama ooh
1: mm. greenleaf
0: greenleaf greenleaf
1: cuz right. i'm a pk kid
0: yeah
1: i'm a pk kid so i look at it through the lens of, wow, really, this happens? And I I enjoy um, the characters and how they intertwine and that whole story of real life, but you are public because you are the first family of a church and Mm -hmm. having grown up with a parent being, you know, the minister of the church and expectations, it is very, very relatable.
0: Got it, pastor's kid. Excellent. All right, comedy. Um, comedy.
1: Hmm. Let me think. I want to say my favorite comedy. Uh, I haven't seen any of of late. Life has been comedic as <laughs> well. Um, I have to come back to that one. I have to think about that one. Comedy
0: or comedian?
1: Um, right now my, I would say, yeah, my fiance. <laughs> He's
0: stupid,
1: but I would say movie-wise, comedy. Um, growing up, it was always the Sydney Poitier and the Bill Cosby. Let's do it agains. Um, mm-hmm. because it was just naturally raw talent in those mm-hmm. movies, and they were just dumb. <laughs> you know, when you think. of When you think of the characters of those and just the, that was us. So I grew up in those, in that environment. So it was
0: just real. Mm. Final question. What is happiness? Oh. Happiness to
1: me is just knowing that my family is good. Mm. That I'm good. Mentally, I'm good. My daughter is happy. Because as a parent, you just want your children to be be happy with the where they are at in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that my mother is happy um, where she's at. And my fiance, you know, we're planning this wedding and that we're good. As long as we're good, we can deal with all of the outside. So for me, happy is just knowing that my family is good because it's a, it's a small family. Mm-hmm. And when one is out of whack, it's just like, okay, what we got to do to kind of Bring, bring it back, back. Bring it back.
0: Excellent. Is there anything you would like the listeners to know? Well, for one,
1: go to poismag.com, like and follow us. Um, we're also uh on Instagram as Poise Magazine and Facebook as Poise Magazine. But I think more importantly, um, that you know, poise is a is is a new experience. It's, it's a new experience online, but it's not a new experience. It's just showing being authentic to who black women really are that don't get seen once you reach a certain age. And this is the dilemma that we're seeing in Hollywood. But for all of the entrepreneurs who are out there um, ages 20 to 65 plus, mm-hmm. it, just do it. Don't worry about the money. I'm still trying to figure out certain things, you know, when it comes to building and expanding. Don't worry about it. Just start small. Those small steps. And once you check off your list, you will see, wow, look at the milestones that you have accomplished mm-hmm. in, you know, doing what you are just um, continuing to press forward to do. Don't get caught up in what people are doing on Instagram or Facebook because we can easily get caught by images and knowing that that's not real life yes um stay your course if it takes you 10 years it took you 10 years but nobody knows your journey but you Mm -hmm. um but just do it
0: just Just do do it it. just do it just do it final words well thank you miss audra for being on the show. This was tons of fun. And I can't wait for people to follow you. And engage with you online. Yes. And tell them how to follow you on IG and Twitter. Drop the hat. The, um, the channels. The handles. So
1: yeah. um, on Twitter. Instagram and Facebook. We are Poised Magazine. And the actual. Um, website is. poisedmagmag.com.
0: Alright perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our sponsor for season two, Punto Space. The contemporary raw space combines capacity with intimacy. Four distinct spaces on three levels encompass more than 3,500 square feet. Custom configurations, a state of the art audio visual system, and full service support provide endless possibilities for realizing your creative vision. Thank you for joining the conversation. To learn more about currency shift, go to currencyshiftnow.com. If you feel as though you fit the criteria as the first, the only, or the disruptive, send us an email, info at currencyshiftnow.com. Until next time, keep pushing, stay motivated, and stay encouraged.